So welcome to the session on the 14th of December and we're having a little discussion around live, uh, this is a continuation from a discussion that we had a few weeks ago where we were talking about living in times of chaos the times that perhaps we've been living in a bubble post-World War II, which is one of the longest periods of continuous peace in, in history, actually, that 80 years or so. And as those that were born after the war, we were born into a generation of economic prosperity and huge technological change as well. But particularly, we've lived in a period where we've taken living in a fairly predictable and ordered society for granted. And now things are starting to change. And we're seeing a little bit more destabilization globally around geopolitical shifts. Perhaps the demise of America as the dominant power, which was taken as a given, you know, in the post-war, America was the unchallenged world superpower. And now that's under threat. Of course, we had the GS GFC and we had the collapse of financial institutions and the uh, loss of money from people's superannuation funds. And then we've had great political instability here in Australia with successive changes of leadership to the point where when you go overseas, they ask you, who's the, who's the prime minister this week? <laughs> um, and now we've got the climate emergencies starting to emerge and the bushfires. And so whichever way you look, and all of this has all been fueled by media sort of amplification of the degree of uncertainty. So for a person without a solid belief system of some kind, something to ground them into a sense of some internal certainty, then it must be a pretty terrifying time or at least a concerning time, disconcerting time to be alive because what can you rely on? That's true. And intrinsic confidence is elusive. Mm. Uh, and it's hard to self-generate that correct. without some form of guidance. It's not readily obvious where you can find that stability within yourself. Mm. And if we are indeed entering times of chaos, then that is potentially a great threat to what mental health is another thing that we're seeing it's almost an epidemic of these conditions anxiety depression and uh, you know we need to develop that resilience you know presumably at some point the uncertainty will give rise to a new period of maybe stability but we don't know when that might be 
And so in the meantime, I guess the question is, how do you prepare yourself without being too morose about this, just being purely pragmatic? How do you prepare yourself mentally for times of this uncertainty? Yes. Um, what are the extrinsic influences that we have now which may help us make the right decisions amidst this chaos? There really aren't all that many um, no. extrinsic influences. Uh, and the, the stories we, we hear and watch on TV and we read um, are very negative mm. and uh, really just emphasise the fact that we are living in chaos. Mm -hmm. They do. I think they exacerbate the angst. So there's almost this zeitgeist, you feel, sometimes that there's this collective feeling of uh, not panic yet, but certainly a degree of anxiety that wasn't there when these things were not being confronting us every day through every medium. And so you've got a double challenge. You've got this uh, the, the existence of the chaos itself, and then you've got the promulgation, the, the amplification, the the, um, the constant reminder of it. Mm. as well and so the product of that is I think a society that is increasingly well there's a few ways that you can go if you're not on any sort of kind of spiritual path here you might go into denial we see this in cyber security actually and this is an area that I work in and uh, you get to the point where people feel so overwhelmed by the challenges the complexity of the problem and the dynamic nature of the problem that they will go into a form of paralysis where they basically just give up they think it's just too difficult so mm -hmm. they they become very difficult to reach because they're basically in denial to some degree it's just too, and I think this may be just a normal evolutionary response that when the system is overwhelmed by stimuli, it just naturally retreats, which is interesting because when we come to talk about meditation, we're probably doing the same thing, but it's in a more conscious and more directed way and for a, for a more um, uh, defined outcome. But if we return, so that one option is the withdrawal, another option is rebellion. You might see unrest occurring, people getting angry about the fact, and you see this um, play out in political outcomes. So the election of Trump and the Brexit are two examples of uh, non-predicted outcomes that were the product of a middle class that is feeling increasingly marginalised and disempowered by both economically and, I guess, so technologically probably as well so that's another course of action is that people get angry and so they vote for radical change perhaps not thinking about what the consequences of the alternatives are that they're, they're voting for and then another response might be um, 
some people will be activated to change. So you get a rise of social activism, which is uh, mm. re realizing that we can't just sit around and do nothing. Maybe it's time to mobilize, and I think we see this in young people. That that's really something that has um, been loud and clear. Mm. Everybody's recognized um, how this is a very very unusual thing mm. to have so many young people join together mm. to question the uh, decisions and the actions of their governments. Yeah. It's horrendous. And legitimately so, when you think yeah. that they must be reflecting on their futures and seeing sort of the mess that we've landed them in collectively as the previous generation and deciding that they don't want to live in a world that's so potentially dangerous for them climatically, you know, whatever, mm. whatever their issue is. Uh, but they're not, they're not sitting on their hands, they're actually getting up and they're actually seeking to activate for change. And I think when you think back at the Vietnam War and the protests that were there, it's almost a return that you always look to the young as the agents of change, mm. typically. As you get older, the tendency is towards conservatism and status quo and stability. And I think there's actually a neurological basis for this. I've reflected on this a lot. I think what happens is as you get older, your reaction times slow down and your capacity to adapt to rapidly changes, rapid changes in the environment are diminished. And so there's a natural tendency to want to try and create more when you're older, as much stability around you as possible. Whereas when you're young, You've got physical health and strength, endurance and flexibility, and you've got mental, the same qualities mentally, presumably. You're certainly mentally flexible. And, uh, and so I don't think young people are as threatened by uh, the challenge of having to be, remain adaptable. And so for them, stability is not a priority as it is when you're older. So if that's the case, then we are seeing young people activating. So these are all the things that happen to people that are not grounded necessarily in some um, exploration of their inner, innermost core. But we, you know, the yogis take a completely different view to this and they regard the external world as um, you could say necessary but insufficient expression of the totality of things and that there is another sort of inner world as it were that is inherently more predictable, dependable, stable than the one that we face outside. And in fact, their whole message is essentially one of, well, depending on which tradition, knowing the, knowing the inner self. There's this self-knowledge at the deepest level that is your ultimate um, refuge. I think um, from my perspective, um, when I was younger, I viewed myself as the person who would hold her nose and jump in. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I had no fear. I took on any challenge that I felt was a reasonable challenge to take on. Um, however, with the passing years, I found that my decision making was is not as instant as it was. Mm -hmm. uh, is not as reliable as it was, mm -hmm. and um, can be. I can make bigger mistakes now than I used to before. Mm -hmm. I have more to lose mm -hmm. uh, than I had when I was young, and uh, this chaos, uprising of chaos in our environment, um, yeah, money, uh, banks, all of the issues that are bursting out around us. Religion, organised religion as yeah, well. That, that's right. Um, all of those things just add to the confusion uh, of any individual. Mm. Um, and as you grow older, you you do become less clear in your thinking. And one of the things I really loved about doing um, your classes of, of, um, of meditation was the fact that I found in my own life I was able to make clearer and better decisions mm. with meditation than I was without it. Mm. That's interesting. I mean, that's what you would hope to happen because one of the byproducts of meditation is a greater clarity, the ability to step outside of the chaos mm. and to view it from a different vantage point where you are not emotionally engaged with whatever's going on to the same degree. And therefore you have the clarity that comes with the objectivity. I think we've talked about this before. It's a development of an objective perspective. Yeah where you're not seeing <coughs> yourself as a victim of circumstances as much as you are of, as just a part of the ever-changing landscape. But knowing that that which changes within you is not ultimately the most important aspect of you, the most um, essential aspect of you. And we return to the teachings of the yogis that talk about this and they say what is real is that which does not change. And I love that coming back to that because it's the, and I was reflecting a lot on this recently, this idea of where is the attention going during the day, the awareness? Is it focusing on those things that are constantly changing? which is what the media would have you, you know, all the stimuli that you're confronted with is seeking to suck you in to this realm of change, this ocean of change in, Buddh in Buddhism and elsewhere they call it samsara. It's the ocean of worldliness. It's the divine play as it's playing out. So that's one way you can put the attention as you focus on that which is ever changing. But eventually it becomes exhausting to do that because you're riding the highs and lows and it's a whole roller coaster and some people love that that's their that's the that's the way they enjoy their life but for others i think it's there is another way another another option and that is to withdraw the awareness from that which changes and bring the awareness to be with that which is a changeless the changeless state so that even in the midst of all of this chaos that's unfolding around us, 
there is a deeper dimension of being which is perfectly still very stable unchanging and that state is present both externally and also internally it's sort of external in the sense that it underlies the uh, you know all this creation is born out of stillness there is some fundamental state which underlies creation according to physicists out of which matter and energy emerge it's that state that existed prior to the big bang is still there the big bang and the whole universe arose and create was created within it but it of its own nature was prior to movement and heat and light and all those things that we need to define our world so the the secret according to the yogis about in how you live in times of chaos is the constant remembrance of both the transitory nature of things that things are going to change there's no way you can in the external world change is a constant but that beneath the change is another state entirely which if you know how to access is the ultimate security mm. it's um tempting to think um or even say stop the train i want to get off mm -hmm. um you can't do that you're stuck with it because it's it's here it's part of what is around us mm -hmm. but what i think um i'm looking to do and and finding that I'm getting somewhere through meditation is detaching myself from what's going on around yeah. and to find the peace of meditation mm -hmm. and find the peace of mind and stillness um, yeah. and, and that's been helpful so far well that's a sign of progress because in <laughs> fact there are two qualities that emerge through the practice of meditation in Sanskrit they're called viveka and vairagya viveka is discrimination where you begin to have exercise choices around where you put your attention where you put your emotions where you put your effort you, you start to become much more selective because you've got the clarity and the objectivity that we talked about you can make those kind of decisions about the people that you want to spend time with, the kind of activities you want to engage in, everything all the way down to what you eat. I mean, it's, it's as pervasive as that, that you're making more, um, hesitate to use the word enlightened choices, but sort of more insightful choices about that. So that's discrimination. And, and at an internal level, can I also say, discrimination about the thoughts that you allow to inhabit your consciousness you become more discriminating about the thoughts that you choose to define you the beliefs that you choose to hold so there's an internal selectivity going on as well and you have to be very vigilant and it's a great practice once you begin to get the hang of it 
that you welcome those thoughts and you, you entertain those thoughts that are uplifting and positive, and the ones that are negative, you dispel them and you displace them with positive thoughts. And Patanjali has a lot to say about that. Replacing a negative with a positive. You can't, you can't kill a negative thought by effort, but you can starve it of attention and replace it with a positive. So it's an idea of displacement. And then viragya is the other quality that develops during the practice of meditation. And this is the word that means detachment, disengagement, taking more of the observer, the witness, consciousness, where you're just watching this whole thing almost as, a, as an illusion. It's a play. In my, my teacher's autobiography was called The Play of Consciousness. Chit, chit, shakti vilas. Chit, chiti is consciousness. Shakti is the power. So the power of consciousness. And vilas is the play. So it's the play of the, of the power of consciousness unfolding in this world. And we're watching it with a, a kind of a detached bemusement. Not bemusement in the sense that we're, you know, enjoying watching other people suffer. Not in that, it's not, it's not a um, sort of a, a, a um, sadism, sadism. It's more just a detachment as you would watch a movie that you watch it, but you're not really, you're reminding yourself all the while that it's just a movie. Every time you start to get drawn in and anxious, you know, I've used this example before, you're in a horror movie, say, something traumatic, and, and the job of the director is actually to make you forget yourself and to draw you in to the, to the plot, to the characterizations and to make you forget that you're, you are the observer, right? You actually become a participant. If it's a very well-produced, directed uh, production, don't you feel on some level you're part of it? Absolutely, absolutely. But then you've always got the person sitting next to you when you get too anxious that will elbow you and say, don't worry, it's all right. It's just a movie. <laughs> and then you go, Okay, it's going to be okay. We can, in another 45 minutes, we can walk out of here and, and everything will return to normal. But I think that's the key now in, in this example that I'm giving them of life. You can't just walk out in 45 minutes. No. Because it's here for as long as you're here. That's right. You can't stop the train and get off. No. You, uh, you're in it and you stay within it. And it's right. really how you receive it and how you respond to it that improves or otherwise your life. Exactly. That's exactly right. It's the power of choice mm. of how you respond is the only control you actually have. When it all boils down, you cannot control the external circumstances. You, you may to some degree and for some time, but I mean, look at the current bushfires here. We've got people that have lived all their lives in a house, they've beautified it, they've done everything that they can, it was their security, it was their major investment, all of those things. Mm. 
and then in 15 minutes a massive fire can come through and turn it all to ash that's the that's the harsh reality now i mean you hope that doesn't happen and you will try and plan that it doesn't happen and provide for it put fire systems in and everything else but ultimately there is no guarantee with any of this or your health you know your physical health or your financial situation all of these things are they're buffers they're buffers and we do the best that we can and that's the responsible thing to do you make provision for yourself as best you can you exercise so that you keep the body as strong and healthy as it can be for as long as you can so that you won't succumb to illness so you you utilize effort where effort is due but then we'd say wouldn't we that the real effort the most important effort has to go into the investing in that which is your ultimate security this is money in the meditation is money in the bank that's a very good way of looking at it very good way of looking at it because the more you've done the internal and i mean last week i talked about this whole process as being effortless and really what i'm talking about is the state itself is effortless there is some effort in the sense of how you get to it but the truth is that you know at the highest level it is already there that which we seek is already there it doesn't have to be created and therefore that the more effort you use to try and find it you actually work against yourself but still putting that aside the development of this psychological resilience takes an investment of time and effort a discipline to practice it does and that's the money in the bank because every hour that you spend meditating is an hour that you've invested in knowing that aspect of yourself that you can return to when things do get really rough and the more that you build that pathway i use the analogy of imagine trying to uh, build a trail in, in a forest and initially it's all very overgrown and you're going in there and you're pushing your way through the weeds like they're the thoughts so you're pushing you're navigating through all the all the resistance and the impediments but gradually a little track begins to form initially it's like a little goat track but gradually over time the more that you traverse this ground you it becomes a proper path and the way is clear and eventually it's you you enter it without any resistance and that's your sanctuary mm. so we're creating a path well worn Mm. to our sanctuary yes and the knowledge is that the sanctuary will always be there come what may this is the real sort of foundational principle is that that sanctuary has always been there and it is always there and it will always be there and i think the people that experience and you've already given examples of your own progress that you're making where the fruits are starting to reveal themselves so these are the fruits that come from spending time in that state so chaos should be really seen as an opportunity as with all challenges you know they say they're not challenges 
the opportunities. Because you learn, and you make mistakes for sure, but that's how you learn. But you pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and you go again. And this is one of the great attributes of humankind. I think we have hardwired into us, maybe it's survival, that we will keep trying and trying and trying. We've got that tendency. And so all the yogis say, that's great, now apply that in this direction as well. You can still do all your work and your outer life and all that family and business and, you know, fun, of course. That's all great, but you know you can't rely on it. But, so that's the bad news. So they give you the bad news and then they give you the good news. But they say, but there is something you can rely on. So it'd be terrible if they said, look, this whole world is just temporary and everything's going to change, you're going to die and that's it. That'd be pretty sad because you don't have an alternative. But through their grace, they say, well, but you've also got this other thing, which is actually ultimately more profound, more beautiful, more expansive, more captivating than anything that you can experience in the outer world. And initially you've got to take that on trust as a new meditator because you don't always see that straight away. But the longer you practice, as the state deepens, this starts this aspect starts to reveal itself and you will have the most wonderful encounters of the beauty of the in, of the innermost nature which ultimately is they say love it's love that is the ultimate denominator that's what we're here for mm. and the chaos is really the signal that we're not focusing enough on the positive, on these other things. The chaos is the, the stimulus. And you can get there through discrimination. I might see that there's chaos ahead. And so I, because I've got some objectivity, I can make choices which bring me back into my stability before I get into the chaos. That's one way. But the other way is to actually go through the chaos to experience the suffering and then to realize that that wasn't the path that was going to give me peace. So you can get there either by being smart about it or by being not so smart about it, but either way you'll get there. That's, so we all, get, we all arrive. That's the good news. The bad news is you may, may have to take more than one lifetime. You know, they say that reincarnation is really just a journey of the soul that it might take more than one lifetime. And whether you believe that or not, you know, at least, I mean, it, I think it's a good theory in the sense that it explains a lot of what would otherwise appear to be inequality in the world. The whole theory of karma and reincarnation is really the yogi's answer to how it is that people are born well off or 
impoverished and sick or healthy or whatever it is, the dualities that we see are all a product of the past, past deeds and that really the universe is perfectly fair but when viewed from the lens of one lifetime it's not apparent. But when viewed from the... The Buddha apparently went and I think he reviewed 4,000 of his past lives. He had that, that was documented somewhere. And imagine if you have that, that perspective. How great would your vision and your wisdom be then? If you could distill and bring to the present the learnings of 4,000 lifetimes. <clears throat> mm. You'd be you'd be able to found a religion. <laughs> you'd be the wisest person on the planet. Anyway, so that's that's the good news about chaos. Is that it's it's not going to last forever. Well, it will last forever, but the particular chaos that is confronting you right now it will not is transient. There will always be change. But that there is this other stable state and this is why we practice. Mm. Yeah. Through life the chaos around us will manifest differently. Mm-hmm. And with this skill and this this commitment to responding to your innermost heart mm-hmm. and meditating to achieve that state mm-hmm. has got to be, in my view, has got to be the best way of, mm. of managing the bumps Absolutely. along the road in, in front of us. Mm. And the more that the bumps get worn off you, the smoother the journey becomes. You know how they build cars to be aerodynamic? So they they make the shape such that it's slippery through the air. So imagine we begin life as like this rough stone and we've got all these rough edges and life is taking the rough edges off us. You know, every conflict, everything that we learn, we're, we're becoming smoother, becoming like a smooth stone eventually. You don't, you don't have the same resistance to life because you've been smoothed and shaped by all your experiences and if you've got wisdom that's developing as you get older, you're not making the same mistakes and your life does become smoother. Mm. It should. If it's not, then you probably need to think about the choices you're making and use a bit more discrimination and maybe have a bit more detachment which comes back to meditation which is what we're going to do right now (laughs) so that was a good way to finish the discussion but I think it's a very useful discussion to have and something that people might benefit from reflecting on this idea of what really what we've done is we've defined a strategy for dealing with chaos not only dealing with it, but, but potentially thriving within a time of chaos, which is really what we want. Mm, absolutely. Very good. <laughs>